Well, good Sunday morning. I'm really glad that you're part of the service today. Uh, We're still getting used to doing online ministry. Uh, It's not what we would choose, but it's kind of the hand that we've been dealt in the world in which we're living today. So I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're a part of what's happening this morning. I really like what what Matt said at the end of the the worship, uh, how how there are advantages to this. And one of them is you can submit on onto the comments your prayer requests, and you will have a whole community of people that are praying for you. I pray that you would take advantage of that. You can be as specific as you want to be about your needs, but just say, hey, I'm requesting prayer, uh, and you will have uh, a whole family of people praying for you. So that's one of the advantages that we have in our current situation. Uh, but I'm really glad you're here. It's time for a new series. The series is called Jesus in the Old Testament. It builds on the premise that Jesus did not come into existence 2,000 years ago. He always was. He had no beginning and he has no end. The Trinity has always been. God is totally self-sufficient within himself. Let us make man in our image, he says, in the very beginning of Genesis. Note the plurality within the conversation. We serve one God eternally existent in three persons. He has always been that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that's true... Jesus was present as all the Old Testament events unfolded. He was there in the Garden of Eden. He was present as the world was engulfed with water and only eight souls survived on a homemade ark. He was present as the Tower of Babel was built and then abandoned. He was there when Joseph was sold into slavery and he was there as the Hebrews made their way out of Egypt and became a great nation. From Adam to Abraham to David to the prophets, Jesus was there for it all. And sometimes, and more often than we realize, Jesus makes an appearance in the pages of the Old Testament. Sometimes it was as a type or a shadow of what was to come. Other times it was a theophany or a Christophany. Much of what we read in the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, is not just about the person uh, or the event that we see in that specific passage. Much of what we see is helping us understand something bigger than what's there in the moment. They are types and shadows of things to come. They are a means by which God speaks to us through the things we are familiar with. They are prophetic images of something still in the pipeline, something still coming our way. For example, the animals sacrificed in the Old Testament are a type or a shadow of the coming Christ. They picture the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. A theophany or a Christophany is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. This is an actual appearance of the person of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament 
before he took on flesh as the son of Mary. This series will include both types and shadows and Christophanies. We're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. One thing I hope to accomplish in this series is to help to bring the scriptures to life for you. And there are some methods of approach that we need to consider as we endeavor to read the Word of God correctly. You might want to write these down. I I have four of them this morning. Number one, context is everything. So if we're going to read the Word of God correctly, we need to remember context is everything. False religions and heretical doctrines or heresies are formed by reading Bible verses outside the framework of the whole of Scripture. Context is everything. Number two, take the Bible literally wherever it's intended to be taken literally. I get asked this a lot. They say, people say, Tom, do you take the Bible literally? And my answer to that is, I take it literally wherever it's intended to be taken literally. When Jesus says, I am the door, he's not saying, I'm a door. He's saying, I'm the way, I'm the entry point. When God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to you from the ground, he's not saying his blood is crying out to him from the ground. It's a metaphor. On the other hand, Noah's Ark is meant to be taken literally. It's an actual historical event. Take the Bible literally wherever it's intended to be taken literally. Number three. Again, we're talking about how to read the Word of God correctly. Number three. Ask what it means, not what it means to you. We ask what it means, and then we apply that to our lives. It's not your truth, it's the truth. Number four, put yourself into the text. Imagine yourself there. Don't just read the words, experience the story. Peel back the layers. Don't just read it, live it. These are the mindsets that will help you not only enjoy the experience of reading the Bible and not only help you to get more out of it, but more importantly and most importantly, they will help you interpret it as it was intended by the God who wrote it. Now our first example, part one of Jesus in the Old Testament, is from the story of David and Goliath. It's a great story. But when we read it, we we tend to make it about us. We tend to make ourselves the centerpiece. So let's endeavor to understand it as it was meant. You definitely benefit from placing yourself into the story, but you had better put yourself into the right part. If you miscast yourself, there will be problems. It's a great story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can turn there. And I will, I will read some of it, and some of it I will, I will walk you through. It, it encompasses really the whole chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's an epic tale of God's deliverance and His miraculous provision. 
And even beyond that, this story can teach us to read the Bible correctly and help us learn to see Jesus in the Old Testament. You remember the story. It starts like this. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. Verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched, there, and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines were the arch enemy of Israel and they had a great warrior who was close to 10 feet tall. And so the Philistines sent out a challenge to the Israelites. Verse 4 says there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Don't forget the span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went out before him. We kind of forget that guy. And he stood and he cried to the armies of Israel and he said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose you a man and let's rumble. Verse 9, And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And this apparently goes on for a number of days with no takers from among the Israelites. Enter David. Now David was the youngest of the sons of Jesse. In fact, he was too young to be in the Israelite army. But his dad had sent him to the front line to check on his brothers and to bring them some provision and then to bring back a report to his father of how the battle was going. It was different then, you have to remember. There were not these 24-hour news cycles, this constant and relentless barrage of breaking news stories that are not really news at all, much less breaking news. And listen, I'm all in favor. I'm all for staying informed, and I think you should. But I also think you can reach a saturation point where you are no longer benefiting. You can suffer from information overload. And that information overload can cause stress and anxiety and worry. And much of it is drummed up by the networks and they're all out pursuit of ratings at the expense of accuracy and validity and often our well-being. It's not about accuracy anymore. It's all about sensationalizing. It's all about creating urgency and drama for the sake of ratings. Stay informed, absolutely, but don't drink this stuff in like it's your lifeblood. Instead, pray and read your Bible like they are your lifeblood. But I digress. 
Back to the ranch. When David got to where the armies of the Philistines and the Israelites had gathered, he happened to overhear the challenge of Goliath. Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man that kills this Philistine? Verse 27, And the people answered him. But it's interesting that his older brothers scoffed at him. And they dismissed him as a a curious little boy. And if you're the baby of the family, my hunch is you know exactly what David went through. Verse 29, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? When King Saul heard about this young man willing to do battle with Goliath, he summoned him for a meeting to discuss his qualifications. We pick it up in verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and they took a lamb out of the flock. Now he's actually referring to two separate incidents here. Verse 35, I went out after him and I smote him and delivered the lamb out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and I smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go for it, and may God be with you. And as the story goes, Saul tried to put his own armor on the boy David, but David knew it wouldn't work. And so he, verse 40, chose five smooth stones out of the brook put them into a shepherd's bag, which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And the Bible says that he drew near to the Philistine. Verse 42, When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? What am I, chopped liver? Am I a dog that you come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come here and I'll give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David responds. And I love what David says. Verse 45 Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. This day the Lord will deliver me into, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you, and I will take your head from you, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In all this assembly, David said, everyone here will know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. 
David doesn't seem to wonder at all if he can take the giant. He steps up in confidence and assurance, knowing the victory is already his for the taking. You see, David understood that the weapons of his warfare were not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Church, it's time that we stop fighting with carnal weaponry, and it's time that we start invoking the weapons that God gave us to fight with. And that's exactly what David did. It came to pass, it says in verse 48, when the Philistine drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David ran toward Goliath. And David put his hand into his bag and he took a stone and he slang it. I love the King James. He slang it and smote the Philistine that the stone sunk into Goliath's forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine, verse 50 says, with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. David was the sheriff without a gun. All he had was his trusty slingshot. I love that. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took Goliath's sword and drew it out of the sheath and slew him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They took off running. They headed for the hills. Verse 52, And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And there the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way. Verse 53, And then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. Now that means they took their stuff. It's one of the rules of engagement. It's, uh, it's one of the, the, the rights of war. To the victor goes the spoils. Verse 54, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put Goliath's armor in his tent. Remember verse 46, this day I will take your head from you. I've always loved this story. How can you not? It's a Bible classic. If you only know one story from the Bible, odds are this is it. But to be honest, I always felt guilty reading it. Maybe inadequate is a better word. I, I wanted so much to be like David. I, I wanted to be the hero. And the movies and the storybooks tell me I should be. When we watch a movie, we, we watch it from the perspective of the star. I'm Tom Cruise in, in Top Gun. I'm Mel Gibson in Braveheart. I'm Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm the hero. I'm the man. For those few moments of fantasy, those few minutes of make-believe, I'm the hero. But the Bible isn't make-believe. The Bible is supposed to be the real deal. So as I read the story of David and Goliath, 
I, I see it through two lenses. One part imagines me doing battle with the Philistine giant. The more realistic part acknowledges I would be cowering in the trenches with the Israeli soldiers. Send out someone to fight me was the brazen challenge from the massive, unruly, ten-foot, grizzled warrior whose spear was 25 feet long and the head of said spear weighed an amazing 17 pounds. Just the head of the spear. It's no wonder none of the soldiers in King Saul's army would leave the safety of the foxhole to go mano a mano with the giant. But the movies train us to think we are the hero. In my mind's eye, I see myself stepping to the forefront of the battle, pushing myself past the soldiers and stepping into battle array, ready to go one-on-one with the formidable colossus known as Goliath. That would be great. But the reality is, I'm no hero. And so I would feel guilty reading 1 Samuel 17. I knew in my heart that I would not be the one stepping out to grapple with the Philistine champion. I'm no hero. But maybe, just maybe, that's the point of the story. Perhaps the Old Testament David is a picture of the New Testament Christ. David is Jesus in the Old Testament. Colossians 2.5, speaking of Jesus, says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Just like David triumphing over Goliath. Through the work of the cross, and through the power of the resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan, the champion of darkness. I didn't gain the victory over the principalities and powers. I'm just walking in the victory that Jesus has won on my behalf. I'm no hero. As Christians, we reap the benefits of our victorious Savior. We are like the Israelites charging into the camp of the Philistines to plunder the enemy after David triumphs over Goliath. I'm sure you can see the picture Jesus Christ fought for us in the greatest spiritual battle that has ever taken place. If he won, his victory would be ours. If he lost, we would be servants of Satan and sin forever. I know this. I'm no hero. My victory rests upon the work of Christ. I am simply a soldier in the Lord's army. I'm no hero. I serve a hero. I serve a risen Savior. I serve Jesus, the undefeated champion. He's the real hero. Now I read the account of David and Goliath, and I recognize all the players in the story for who they really are. Goliath is Satan. The Philistine army are all the demons and all the people who serve Satan instead of God. They are the children of the devil. David is a shadow or a type of Jesus. He's Jesus in the Old Testament. The soldiers in the Israeli army are modern day believers. Now I see myself 
in my rightful place in the story. I'm no hero. I don't have to be. I'm just a soldier in the Israeli army. That's me in the foxhole until David buries the stone in the gourd of the giant Philistine and then lops off his noggin. That's when I come charging into the picture. That's when I make my appearance. That's me chasing the Philistines who are already on the run by the time I come onto the scene. And then I get to plunder the tents of the Philistines. I get to go home with my arms full of Philistine spoil and tell my wife how we won the battle. And I may even exaggerate my role a bit. You should have seen us, honey. I wish you could have been there. It was never in doubt. But I know in my heart, I'm no hero. Jesus is the real hero. And you know what? That's okay. I was never meant to be the hero. And now I can read 1 Samuel 17 and I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel inadequate. I was never meant to be the hero in the story. Jesus is the real hero. In the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it refers to the lamb slain from the foundation of of the world. Now, now think about that for a moment. The foundation of the world. Jesus all, was always meant to be the hero. From the very beginning, from the foundation of the world, from the depths of the foreknowledge of God, from deep within the heart and the head of the one who put it all together in the first place, Jesus is the real hero. Before the universe was created. Before time existed, before man walked in the garden, God knew that we would sin. He knew that we would rebel against our Creator. But out of the wisdom, but out of the love of God, somewhere in the dateless past, He put a plan in place so we could gain the victory over our enemies. And I would not be the hero. And you would not be the hero. Jesus would be the hero. God planned for Jesus to step into history to provide the ultimate sacrifice. The sinless Son of God would suffer sin's penalty of death, be raised from the dead, and provide a way of salvation by which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. At the cross, Jesus launched a stone that sunk into the forehead of the devil. At the resurrection, he took a sword and cut Satan's head off. On the day of Pentecost, we came running out of the foxholes to plunder the enemy. The church was unleashed to lay claim to the territory that the devil had taken. I am not the hero. Jesus is the real hero. I'm just a soldier in the army of God like you. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's nothing to feel inadequate about. I'm right where I'm meant to be. And so are you. Now we just have to do our part. And it's a part perfectly suited for you and perfectly suited for me. I don't have to be the hero. And for me, that's a big relief. Now let me leave you with a question. Have you joined 
the army of the Lord yet. Well, then it's time to enlist. 1 Samuel 17 is an amazing story. Can you find yourself in the script? First of all, make sure you read it within the context of the whole counsel of God. Context is everything. In this case, it's a literal occurrence. It's an actual historical event. So we take it literally. Next, discern what the passage means. And then finally, put yourself into the text. But make sure you cast yourself into the right role. I'm not the hero. Jesus is the real hero. Jesus won the victory. That's good news for you and for me. And so we need to enlist into the army, the army of the Lord. And that doesn't just happen and isn't something that happens because you attend church or you watch the online stream or you grew up in a Christian family. That doesn't mean you're a member of the army of the Lord. You really have to enlist. You have to enroll. And that's a choice that only you can make. So sometimes we think of it this way. It's as simple as ABC. First of all, you have to admit that you're a sinner. And that's not as easy as it sounds. We have to really acknowledge our sin, take responsibility for who we are, for the decisions that we've made. Acknowledge that we're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we believe. A is admit. B is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you shall be saved. But it's more than just a mental assent. It's more than just a mental agreement. It speaks of true belief to the point of trusting in, having confidence in, depending on. That's what it means to believe. And then finally, we commit our life to him. You can't just confess your sins and then, and then go your way and live like you always have. It's a matter of committing your life to him. That speaks of true repentance, where I changed directions. And in that moment, you become a member of the Lord's army. And that's available to you right here and right now. And I would like to lead you in a prayer It's a very simple prayer. The words aren't anything magic. What really matters is what transpires in your heart. And if this is where you're at today, this morning, then pray this with me. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being the real hero. I'm glad I don't have to be the real hero because I don't have it in me. But you do. So Lord, we trust you as our means of salvation. We acknowledge that we're sinners. Lord, we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. And we believe that you died on the cross for us. You made provision. You made atonement for our sin. And so today we commit our life to you. We've made a decision to live for you. We surrender all that we are to you today as members of your army. Lord, and if you can use us if we can be part of the great battle that transpires on a daily basis, Lord, then use us for the sake of your kingdom. We pray all that this morning in the wonderful 
name of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today with me, then I, again, I would like you to use that comment box and to, and to say, Tom, I prayed that prayer with you. I want to be a member of the Lord's army. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you today, would you do that? God bless you. Thanks for being a part of today's service.